Hello and welcome to episode six of Back to Britpop. It's Chris here. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Cope of The Candy Skins, one of my favourite 90s indie bands. Hailing from Oxford, the band formed in 1989. were very much part of the Oxford music scene, which uh, Mark talks a great deal about. They released Space I'm In in 1991, Fun in 93, Sunday Morning Fever in 97, and Death of a Minor TV Celebrity in 98. There was a further album, which was a live album uh, in 2000 as well. Mark talks very openly, candidly about what was a very turbulent career. They celebrated some great success, but also had a lot of challenges in terms of record deals and labels. But it's a fantastic chat. Just before we start the interview, just to say that um, it kind of starts with Mark um, straight off the bat, really talking about being in a band. And it cuts out a little bit right at the start as well. I lost a bit of audio just after I asked what their influences were. Basically, it's the Beatles. And it picks up a bit later on, so apologies for that. Otherwise, it's a fantastic interview. So I'll be back at the end for the usual social media information and the pleading. In the meantime, enjoy the interview. Here's Mark. And we always said, you know, it's like when you go on tour, it was the 11th gig when you start playing like the, the Berlin Philharmonic, everything clicks and you're just, you know, any split second is everyone looks around if you're not in time and you start playing like a really, you know, you've got playing every night. Yeah, and you start being like a really, really good group, and that's when it, you know, you start realizing what joy it is to play with other really good musicians. Yeah. That only happens when with with time, and doesn't it? And just um, yeah. working hard. I mean, it's like I feel very sorry for bands, you know, now the young bands. You know, it's like I think Oasis and that was the last because we did that. We all signed on the doll, you know, and we mm. just shared each other's doll checks you know when I suddenly got their doll check we'd go to the pub and we'd you know but we'd practice you know seven days a week and write and stuff and it gave us that opportunity to do what we wanted to and um, you know then people don't it's like I teach guitar now and this poor band you know because of the pandemic and everything he's about 17 they had an EP ready to go a few festivals and you know how tragic is that you know I yeah. really feel for those young bands and it is you know, sort of very hard. They don't, you know, they don't play as much as they used to. So you know, how did how did how did it all start then? I mean, you obviously your your brother and you were kind of the founding members, if you like, weren't you? So what were kind of music? What music were you listening to at home? What kind of um, going? Yeah, just the Parlophone label going round from when I was about four years old, and then we moved uh, to Oxford when we were about I was about eleven, I think. We met Nobby um, and, and John, the drummer. And we were sort of all in the same football team together. And then we started skateboarding. And then we went, we went to see, uh, we just got into punk rock and glue sniffing. And it was just, yeah, then I sort of joined the band a bit late. I was in a different punk band. It happened when we went to see Stiff Little Fingers supporting um, Tom Robinson band at the, the, the Apollo in Oxford. And we just, they looked like us. And they weren't, you know, it wasn't David Bowie or Mark Bolan or Glam Rock. It was like, they looked like us. And we realised that we could do this. And for the first time, we thought, you know, and it just music was open to us. It wasn't, you know, a closed thing like you had to dress and put lipstick on and, you know, have lots of money and, you know, your own plane. It was open to everybody. And that's, that really changed it. And, um, yeah, we just started playing, you know, little punk bands and stuff and, and just got better and you just you know you learn how to write songs and stuff like that so who did the main sort of writing was it sort of was it quite collaborative straight away or did it It was um i think sort of nick and nobby sort of started and i when i joined the band we'd sort of um do lyrics and i 
but before the band, I um, I joined and I was the saxophone player and sort of we were sort of like eighties band and <laughs> with um yeah so I had played and then it's like well the saxophone's going out of fashion it was sort of guitar bands were coming in like the railway children and people like that and uh, I was sort of said well we don't really need saxophone anymore so I had about three months to learn the guitar which <laughs> was quite stressful yeah and then we just you know i was like words and stuff so we would sit there the three of us and that was the, the my the, that's the bit i miss most is the three of us sat with cups of tea in the afternoon just looking for one single word and it was yeah. like like the when the like the wembley one was the funniest because we like you know love as big as wembley you know it's like that but took us a whole day and it was just really and then we got it and um but we it was really good because three having three people there no shit gets through yeah, you know, that's what we call it—the sieve of shit. You know, it's just like <laughs> there's two people. There's two people. It's like, oh yeah, that's quite good actually. You know, I can, um, I can get away with that. But you know, three people, someone will say, nah, that's rubbish. That's awful and stuff." So yeah, so we were always very, very tough, and you know, I think that's what we most are proud of is the, is the songwriting really. And it's like we never like repeating a verse. It's just lazy, you know. Yeah, yeah. You had quite a quite a different sound. It had a it had like mm. a very summery tinge to it. And of course, there was in the nineties indie was because there was a massive explosion with Britpop, as we all know, which we're yeah. hoping to get onto later. But even your yeah. your your earlier sound was already sort of soaked in that yeah. kind of that kind of uh, feel, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was sort of like listening to. I think we were listening to a lot of the birds and stuff. And it was like when we got signed to Geffen, you know, the Tom Zuta who signed these signed Stone Roses and um, Guns and Roses and his A and R and the two, you know, just so we were bottom of the pile. He knew our manager in in, in London, and he came to the gig in Oxford. And after two songs, he said, "This band sound like Buffalo Springfield." And then the, the next song we did was um, "For What It's Worth." And then he just apparently he said to our manager, you know, how much do you want for this band? And our manager came in and said, you've just been signed to, to Geffen. And it was like, you know, Jesus Christ. And um, so, yeah, it was, I, yeah, I think we were all into, you know, sort of the birds and, yeah, and just about to turn. I, I think most of it was probably down to the fact that we bought a six, uh, 12 string uh, Fender guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone wanted to play it. So we sort of like, <laughs> What bands play twelve-string guitars, and it was the birds and all that jingly jangly stuff. What, what, what were those um, sort of early recording sessions like? Then, obviously, off, straight off the back of some sort of really amazing news of being signed to quite a major label. Well, we were signed to MCA before that and never released anything. We, yeah, we, they put one tour with Wet 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 over Christmas, <laughs> with like four gigs to see if we were, you know, in good good on a big stage. And there's a really good story in my brother we played at the scottish exhibition center in glasgow you know we'd never only played to about like 100 people before and suddenly we were like five thousand people and uh all these girls at the front were saying get them off get them off and my <laughs> brother thought they we thought he thought that they thought we were awful and just get this band off it was meant as you know they was going on about his trousers <laughs> <laughs> so that was yeah and then we oh no that was a brilliant night we were in the Glasgow Holiday Inn there's all these bands the Pogues were there and everything it was about two days before Christmas and we just got signed to the MCA said yes we will sign you and we got absolutely hammered and then uh, the next year it was just yeah, I think it was a tax loss to them it was something funny they put us in really plush studios you know 
and yeah but nothing got released and there was no explanation of why they were dropping us so i think i now man left and no one wanted to take it over and stuff but it was all a bit very very strange and so it's a bad sort of start to our career with majors ah, so the sort of geffen thing was was obviously quite was very welcome then obviously you were you were yeah oh it was, it was brilliant yeah it was, you go from mca to geffen and geffen were you know massive at that time you know so we got flown over to america and uh, I think that's why we didn't get much success here because, you know, the enemy and sounds that we were trying, you know, the melody maker, we would, and we'd, it looked like we'd buggered off to America, you know, to the big time and we hadn't paid our dues in this country. We hadn't yeah. done, you know, much touring and stuff. And I think they sort of, sort of looked down upon us like that. But in America, yeah, we got, I, you know, none of us have been to America before. We get there and, you know, you get a limousine to pick you up and it's just... It was exactly what they say on the tin, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and and rock and roll could probably come to last. It was bonkers. <laughs> it really was. And so you was... being thrown right in the deep end in that way. Then did it kind of were you gelled together as a unit? I mean, did it really sort of solidify you as a team, or did it? We were always really, really close. Yeah, because we were. I mean, we'd all grown up together. I mean, we always yeah. different. We had a few different bass players, but. Um, yeah, they, they, it was more on personality than, you know, they're playing, I think. But, you know, Carl was brilliant and um, Brett at the end. It was an op, you know, he went to the same school. But, yeah, we just, I mean, I, I always remember every person, every venue or record company people saying, you're the nicest people. And just, you know, I never heard you, you know, just shouting and swearing or having an argument. We just, you know, it was just, it was living the dream to us. It was just, you know, we were having so much fun. And that's probably why we didn't do very well because we just didn't look at contracts or take it all very seriously. We was too busy, you know. So to us, it was just music and having a drink at the end of it. And you know, I always remember meeting American bands on tour, and the only thing they would talk about was their accountant and um, you know money and stuff like that. They never actually talked about you know very rarely music or what they were what they listened to. It was, yeah. you know, it was all about the money, and there's a lot of bands like that. It's more of a career to them. So how how did the states go in terms of you know establishing you? Was it was it obviously I know everyone who, who tours America says it's incredibly grueling and and hard work and um, yeah the rewards can it's, be very very small. It was the first album did really well because I think we got a big push from Geffen and um, <clears throat> so we got a lot of radio play. So we did yeah I think it, the first one did really well. I mean Geffen gave us this you know sort of itinerary and at the end of it at the end of the tour and stuff we thought we'd do like you know there's all press things and in uh, we'd have to do live radio shows before the gig and you know sometimes we're playing like three times a day plus traveling and they thought we'd do you know you'd get to do about a third of the promotion we did absolutely everything they they gave us to do i think we, yeah, we just really enjoyed it nick didn't enjoy it at all he just had a, a baby which is sort of unexpected so at a young age. So he was, you know, felt really guilty that he was away. <clears throat> and he had like a, you know, two month old baby girl back in, in at home. Yeah, so I think he found it quite tough, but he was bloody brilliant. Yeah, you know, I remember he got, he got in, they had all the Geffen staff in this big conference room and he just went in front of the desk, sat there, sat on it and played an acoustic, uh, acoustic gig for them instead of we were all behind the desk. 
and uh, yeah, he just like took it by the scruff of the neck, and yeah, that, they, they all liked us as well. They, you know, I'm still in contact with all the staff there, and you know, they all really, you know, what we're doing now and stuff like that. But you have to sort of, you know, stick to your guns, and we could should have, you know, a few times when we were just sort of led, and it was, I mean, you bet, get pushed into situations where you know, well, this is the only way it's going to go, you know, and you know, there's many a time that happens where it's just like, you know, they they have you over a barrel. It's just like, you know, we we choose this song, but if you don't agree to the terms then we'll choose someone else's song or something for a film or you know and stuff but yeah so it's bloody hard for anyone i think you know any band that hasn't been ripped off is you know i think i only think that i think the radiohead are probably the only band that you know sort of got out of their contract yeah unscathed and you know actually made a profit and uh, that's because they had good you know really good managers and stuff when when you came back to the uk after sort of those initial big tours and, and promotion yeah. stuff in, in what, what felt, had you felt changed about the music industry in, in the UK at that time? It was so fast in those days, you know, it's just like, you know, and you sort of try to keep up with it. And um, yeah, so it got a bit more in, and then the whole, you know, Nirvana thing started just as we were about to release our second album. So we got sort of left behind. It was, you know, sort of, but then the Britpop thing happened, but, it was, yeah, you feel it, it was moving so quickly in England. You know, I remember coming back and going to the, the new inn, the little pub in Oxford, and the, it was super, I think it was Supergrass's first gig, and these like three, you know, like 16 year olds, and we all sat there, and then us from Radiohead, and thinking, what the fuck? This is like, I can't believe how good this band are. And they were, you know, absolutely superb. And yeah, and especially in Oxford, because it was just everyone was pushing each other so hard everyone went to see each other and everyone's yeah. borrowing each other's equipment in Oxford's, you know, it's, it's, t- you know, it's too small to be an arsehole. So the people that were, <laughs> you know, you, could, you would get pushed out and, you know, and but I remember, you know, bands were moving down to Oxford just to get signed at the time, you know, and the pub we all went to, you know, there'd be Supergrass Ride, Radiohead and us and um, all the others in there. And it was, you know, it was a really good time. We'd all go back to Mark Gardner's from Ride's house and have a big party, you know, practically every night. And, you know, and just, then we'd listen to what we, each other was doing and stuff and play demos. And it was all about the music and that, and people were not sort of nice to each other, you know, and everyone sort of educated each other, you know, have you heard this, have you heard this? So yeah, it was a very special place, you know, in those days. When you ventured into London, so did you feel the, the atmosphere changing in those sort of venues? Yeah, it was a bit... Uh, it wasn't as nice as in Oxford. It was a bit, you know, it's like, right, come on and entertain me. And there's always lots of music press there and, you know, and people wouldn't make their own decisions. You know, that's why I liked America. Because, you know, people would watch the, the support band. You know, they yeah. didn't need to be told to watch the band, you know. In those days, you know, sort of like people, you know, if an enemy had given a support band a really good review, everyone would be in there, you know. And they'd be sort of, you know, had a massive impact. And that's what I think, you know, we didn't, the enemy never really got behind us or the fans of us and I think that sort of didn't help at all yeah I think it was just we weren't their type of band I think we you know because we'd been with Geffen it was like they don't need our help or they've been spotted already you know it's not they hadn't spotted us in a you know little gig and sort of said you know yeah so it wasn't a victory for them if they you know we became big or you know and stuff and uh, yeah it wasn't any sort of we didn't sort of tout journalists or you know I mean, John Harris, we got on really well with from the Melody Maker, who, you know, work, works for The Guardian now. Yeah. And uh, he was lovely. He, you know, his first interview, I, I bumped into him in, in Oxford recently. He was doing a piece 
about the virus and everything. And he remembered me. I said, You're John Harry? He said, Yeah. And he was like, Because um, he came over to New York to a big piece on us from our first tour there. And it was the first major, you know, article he'd done and stuff like that. And he was really good. And that, that was like, that was about probably the only person that really got behind us and stuff. The music press had a lot of power in those days, which is good. You know, it sort of directs you into, because it's hard to search out stuff now. Because it's, you know, it's all there, you know, it's just like, it's nice to be guided, you know. We're looking back at sort of around the sort of the time when Britpop was kind of uh, kicking off. Was fun, the record that you were kind of still was still there and then Sunday Morning Fever came in around 1996, 97, is that right? Yeah, so what, what sort of happened in between there, <clears throat> Geffen was sort of trying to sign the Stone, Stone Roses and Tom Zutat, you know, to, we sort of had new songs to go. And um, so we were basically waiting in limbo for a year, you know, for him to come over and okay to record the next album. And so we had, you know, all the Mrs. Hoovers and everything, and, for Sunday morning fever. So yeah, literally we were on, it wasn't worth touring. They weren't giving us any money to tour. It was just, we just had to hit him to come over. And, you know, we all sat in the rehearsal room once, one day, three days we were there in a row. He's coming today, he's coming today. Oh, he's at Wimbledon watching the tennis. All oh, right, we'll go home then. And it was like, oh, this is bloody ridiculous. You're just waiting for someone. So our manager was quite good. And he just sort of said, right, I don't think they're very keen. And uh, so we tried to, we eventually got out of the deal and made it, basically forced them to drop us, which it was, you know, it's like, we want to carry on making music, but you're making, you know, we, you know, it was, it was a horrible time. I was sort of engaged with this girl in America, so I was spending a lot of time over there, and um, the other two were writing, so that caused a bit of a rift. When I came back, and, you know, sort of them sort of didn't know what songs they were doing, they were sort of separate, and then I started writing my own in America, which is really, you know, I thought the first time I wrote a song on my home, on my own, the first one I did, and that was a B-side. So I was very pleased with myself, and it, it sort of opened up everything for me, personally. But yeah, we just felt like redundant and um, not wanted and stuff. So then we, nobody wanted us. Once you drop from Geffen, it's mm. like no record company in the world is going to pick you up. They were, you know, they had Nirvana and everyone, and you know, and so luckily uh, we met this our manager. Um, we got a new manager. Richard Conn fought for us and he thought we were brilliant, you know, and he believed in us. First, first time someone had believed in us. And then he, um, Dodgy's manager had sent up a label and so he, they signed us and they agreed to do the third album. And then, you know, as, as we were about to release it, Geffen released Fun as, um, you know, as our new album and stuff because Monday morning was getting played on the radio. And that's when me and Nick went up to the Geffen offices in London and sort of spray painted them and stuff and got arrested and everything. It was like, it was like a, but yeah, they just, they, it was just, you know, just why, you know, we just fought back from, you know, nothing back at, you know, basically back to basics. We were, you know, looking for a manager in a record company and no one wanted to touch us. And then you come back and you finally get recorded and then Geffen put out the art, the old album. And we got nothing from that. It was just really paying the debts that, you know, we, so that was a real kick, you know, kick yeah. in the teeth. Yeah, just it was another thing. It just made us sort of stronger, you know, because like the the, the first Geffen, uh, that Freedom Bus one, that was it was uh, you know like the catalogue of bad. It was Radio One's Record of the Week. Um, you know, I remember we were playing with um, who was it? God, I can't remember. 
<laughs> it's all become a blur. But yeah, we sat on the, in this college and it was Philip Schofield saying, this is Radio One's record of the week, Candy Skins. And we were on top of the, the tour van. And it was like, yeah, it's like, and then Rough Trade, that was on the Saturday night. And on the, Sunday, the Monday, Rough Trade went bust. So no one could buy the record. You know, they'd encountered all the singles. And um, so it was, yeah, useless exercise. You know, you could hear it, but you couldn't buy it. So it just died a death, really. Oh God! So that was the that was the first sort of me- well, I took quite a few of them really. <laughs> but it's amazing how you kept you you kept the the fight really going with sort of certain yeah. I, I remember the, the tour, the Sunday Morning Fever tour. That was I think I hadn't I wasn't familiar with Fun or the Space I Mean or those two for me, mm. the, the two albums. I, I got into those sort of afterwards, mm. and um, mm. it was quite refreshing to see that your sound coming across, as you say, it was very uh, birdsy, and, and, and the guitar mm. sound was right, really the guitar sound that I was really into at the time. It was almost kind of like a willingness to see you succeed, because I remember seeing you on TFI Friday. Oh, yeah, TFI Friday, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, you, when you did a, a sort of condensed version of Monday yeah. Man, Fever the Single. Oh, right? I, <laughs> I was oh, rooting for you. <laughs> Oh, bless you. But no, that was really brilliant because it, it's like we got, you know, in the charts and you know, we got 37 or something like that. Yeah, it was just because we'd had it really, you know, it, like things had been really tough and stuff. And I remember me and my brother coming back and we'd all go to the pub, the new inn where all the bands would go. So we got back about eight, uh, eight o'clock and everyone had seen it on the telly. And it was the, the week that Chris Evans had fucked up at Radio One and got, got the sack. So everyone was tuned in to watch it. Mm. So it had the biggest spewing figures for ever any episode. So it was like we said to the fellows uh, before we went on, and so we're playing live, yeah. And how many people are watching? He said we reckon there's going to be about at least eight million watching. There's usually four million, but because of Chris Evans, so we thought eight million, brilliant. And Nobby had a bit of a meltdown, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was yeah. We walked into the new end when we got back to Oxford, and it was like you know that episode of Only Fools and Horses when they won the. You know, the auction, everyone starts clapping, and yeah. it was like you know, all the people, radio, radio and supercars and ride, and they just, you know, I was in tears. They were just said, "You bloody deserve it after the shit you've been through," you know. But then, and then, Death of the Minor TV Celebrity was the follow-up album to Sunday Morning Fever, yeah. and then, did, what, what, what was the mood on that album? Then was it sort of, was there something it different? Was, yeah, it was like. Um, it was like we were given a free reign, really. We had nothing to lose, I think, and we knew it was good. We, you know, we did everything. You know, we really went to town on it. And um, the songwriting, you know, we had a bit more time to write the song, so you know, we spent a lot of time getting it ready and went to this uh, chapel studios. And then our producer, who was our sound man, developed. You know, he's always had a cocaine habit, but just went overboard. And we got him to produce, you know, that we thought it'd be really good to get him to produce it. And the first four days he did bugger all. And then we just, I think we buried his slippers in the, in the garden <laughs> and then told him to fuck off. <laughs> so we had no one to do it. So we basically had to produce it ourselves. But we had this uh, bloke, Owen, who just started being an engineer. He, I think he went on to um, produce a Arctic Monkeys album. And a lovely fella. And we just said, right, well, do you want to do it? And he was like, yeah, I can do it. And um, yeah, so I think it was, we were just a bit freer to, to do that. And so we really enjoyed recording that. And then, you know, while we were doing that, we got a call from our manager saying, um, Walton Yetnikoff, you know, that signed Bruce Springsteen and Michael Jackson and all these people had set up his own 
Belleville in America, this label, and they wanted to sign us for America. And they wanted to release Feed It, and they heard it. And um, so it all took off again, like massive. So we got flown to America, and, and then we were like one radio show in Chicago, and we played that night, and the bloke from the radio show came on the tour bus, and we were really, you know, we were told if he adds it, then Disney are going to come in with loads of money to promote the, 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 the single and everything, and it will go top 40. And I remember diving in a swimming pool in this shitty old motel, thinking at last we've cracked it, at last I'm going to be able to buy a house or at least a car. You know, it was really poor. We never made any money out of it. You know, we just had enough to pay the rent and bills and stuff. And I thought, yes, you know, and I remember being underwater swimming and thinking, big smile on it. And then, and then they didn't add it. And then it just started going down. It was like 48 or something like that. And then it just started going down. And then it all fell apart. And then the, the English record company, the head of their, their company got ca throat cancer. And then Walt, the, the cough in America, he got cancer. So both labels sort of finished, really. So we were oh, back then. And then we did this ill-fated German tour, which was like, I've never been on a tour like it was, it was a cultural thing, but it was all in East, like former East Germany. So it's people that hadn't seen a band for quite a long time, or had never seen a band. So it's like Nazi salutes and the Lord Ned among us to go on stage. And I think we came back from that and um, <laughs> thinking, <laughs> I don't think we can do this again. And uh, yeah, and I think we were just, I think, yeah, it was. I always say it was like a sort of heavyweight boxer. It just had too many punches. You know, you just can't get up anymore. And it was like, and it was it was horrible. It was really, yeah, because we were all you know sort of sort of in our late thirties or sort of mid thirties. And I remember, yeah, we split up on the Sunday and the the Monday. I was had we literally had no money, and I was working. I went to Raymond Blanc's restaurant in Oxford and went in there because I used to do waiting before I. And the chef was in there, and I said, have you got any waiting jobs? I said, no. And the chef said, you know, well, I've got a washing up job. You can start tonight if you want. I said, I'll bloody have it. And um, wow. so I was doing that in the evening and then working with this friend of mine. I was working in a um, medical center for the homeless during the day. So and it was brilliant because I was had 18 hours to occupy myself and not think about it. And, mm. um, and it sort of sorted me out, you know. But yeah, it was yeah, it was a tough old time. But, but then we all started doing our own thing, and you know, it's you know, I'm still writing songs. You know, the, the whole pandemic thing. I've you know, I've got almost an album's worth. And um, I don't know if you heard of a band called the Daisies from Oxford. I've heard of the name. I don't think I've heard the yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, the Jamie, the singer, he has his own studio now, and I've put some songs on Facebook that I've written over the last few months. And he said, they're bloody brilliant. So he wants me to come in and record those uh, for free. You know, and it's like, I just want music to be fun again. And it's like, oh, I love your stuff. So I've got, so I've got some, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just, you know, you can't stop writing songs. It's just, you know, sort of in your blood. You always, yeah. just, you know, it's like doing crosswords. It's just really just excellent fun, you know, writing lyrics and trying to finish them and stuff. But so, and, and, you know, Nick's got his children's music thing, which is absolutely brilliant, which he's worked hard, really hard at. You know, he's on uh, CBBs and stuff. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yeah. I've seen it, yes, definitely, yes. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so he's, but, 
that most of both of us you know hate bosses you know we've never been like being told what what to do and so i think you know it's just having your own you know not been yeah i've just i've never like being told <laughs> to do that and that's that gives us the the thing to do it so so i guess when so, you look you look back at the whole i mean it's not just a, a scene you're looking back on you're looking back at decades of of hard work and toil and you, you, yeah you have to dis, do you, have you distanced yourself from it in such a way that you can look back and think of the positive things that you've regained and 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 sort of uh, try to they've overtaken all the negative stuff or is it still quite hard um, i no, i think looking back at it, I think we had more fun than any other band you know it's like i can't think of any you know i wouldn't i wouldn't you know there's a few things i've changed you know and stuff but but then you get, you got to ask, so, you know, sort of if we had have had success, you know, I might not be here. We would just we were, you know, a bit mad. We would have just <laughs> excesses and stuff, and we would have just, yeah. And I don't think we would be the people, you know, we are now. And you know, I'm a, you know, as I teach guitar in primary schools now, and I, it's the best job I ever had. You know, I love yeah. it, and I absolutely love it. And just, you know, sort of, you know, the first time I've been really content and happy doing that. And you know, it's it's all good being in a band that. But yeah, everyone always said, you know, we, we do like have too much fun. And um, yeah. Were you ever reformed the candy skins? Is it on the cards? Um, I would have jumped at the chance. I'm not sure Nick would. We did, a, we did a, another gig at the Zodiac when it was closing down. Yeah. And I don't think Nick, Nick enjoyed that. Just bring back so he had memories and he's in front of it. But, but uh, there's not enough money in it, you know. It's like someone, you know, for all of us to give up our jobs to rehearse yeah. and to go out there. There's not that demand for us, you know, to you know maybe a one-off thing, but you know, it's still the you know the cost of it coming down and rehearsing and everything. But it was good fun. But I'm going to make it I happen. Think, yeah. <laughs> like I think you know one day. Yeah, I mean, we we did get together once. Uh, a friend, a uh, friend Dave got uh, had cancer. And he did a thing at the Zodiac and he was raising money. So he got dodgy and he asked us, you know, we'll be doing it. And we thought, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll do it for nothing. But that was, that was good fun. It was nice being back in the rehearsal room. It's been fantastic speaking to you, Mark. And, and really to get it from, like, again, to get all the stories and all the things you can read about the band and uh, all, all the, uh, the trials and tribulations that you've been through. Yeah. It's, it's such a good, it's just a, a really fascinating story about, you know, resolve and, and, and workmanship and things like that, which you don't really ever seem to get uh, when you when you do sort of um, when you chat to bands, they they, they kind yeah. of tend to to not want you to hear it, and I think uh, and it's a really, it was a really good experience of speaking to you, and uh, hope. Yeah. Um, but it's been so much fun, and I really really Excellent. appreciate oh. you. <laughs> but thanks so much for coming on on to oh. the podcast and speaking to me, Mark. Brilliant! It was a pleasure. It was nice to do it again. <laughs> bye bye. Massive thanks again to Mark for coming onto the podcast. I really, really enjoyed speaking to him. Uh, such a really kind and patient in, in that interview, especially with me. I was a bit of a fanboy of the Candy Skins and still am. Uh, they've written some fantastic tunes. So if you're enjoying the podcast, this is the bit where I always go on about social media and things. So if you've heard all this before, feel free to switch off. But if you're new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe and like it or whatever in terms of the platform you're on. 
write a review, leave a star rating or something like that. It really does help climb the charts. There's so many podcasts out there and just to be heard is a challenge in itself. Yeah, and if you want to get involved on social media, Twitter is the main one that I keep up to date with and Instagram. So just search for Back to Britpop on there. Facebook's around, but I'm not really keeping that up to date as much as I'd like. But yeah, get involved in all the chat and I'll see you again on the next episode. Cheerio. Cheerio.